The title of our, of our um, presentation, Being Willing to Fully Invest in All of Our Patients. And uh, that title kind of came about in trying to encapsulate and encourage all of us to redefine maybe how we determine success and to help us to see God's people for who they are. Um, I know how it can be where we don't feel like we had a very uh, productive day if we didn't have a very productive day, if you know what I mean. And, and sometimes if we um, are looking through our practice, through the lens that is the Bible and through God's eyes, um, sometimes having an unproductive day on paper can be a very, very productive day in your heart. Um, so I'm going to share with you first off just, just my testimony. And um, so, and it's going to start um, where my dental career started, which wasn't too long ago. Uh, I graduated dental school in 2013. Um, grew up as the son of a preacher man and had all the blessings of the Adventist upbringing. A uh, great dad that just helped me to stay on the straight and narrow. Like I had to choose right and wrong, but I was given a good foot up, if you know what I mean. And um, so one thing that if throughout my story, even to this day, um, I struggle with complacency. I don't know about you. Um, but sometimes I can see myself as being a comfortable member of the Adventist club and that my mission then tends to be one of social and, and not so much of my purpose of winning souls for Jesus. Um, so right after dental school, didn't know where I wanted to go or exactly what I wanted to do. Um, God called us to a small town of Kurawasi, uh, Peru. And this is a picture of, of Kurawasi. It is in uh, the Apurimac region of Peru, which is about two hours outside of Cusco. If you could fly like a crow or a condor and you could go over those mountains and behind that Capitan Rumi was that peak and then past there was Salcantay. And on the other side of that, you and down a ways, was Machu Picchu. So if you could just fly, Machu Picchu would be really close. But, uh, but it was... Uh, you know, another two hours back to Cusco and another three hours to Machu Picchu, so we weren't, we weren't that close. Um, but we lived in the town called Kurawasi, and this was our dental clinic there in the first, um, first floor of that building there. And when I first thought that God was going to call me to do some mission work, I figured I'd be a, a great oral surgeon and I'd be pulling a lot of teeth because that's what I knew in dental missions is pulling teeth. Right, Carlos? Yeah, I learned from the best. This guy taught me how to numb and how to... Take out teeth in Honduras. And um, so, uh, but I came across this place, and um, it was during dental school that I was just kind of in a, in a study break, and I was like, if God could send me anywhere, where would I want him to send me? <laughs> that was my selfish question. So I'm there on Google Earth wondering, all right, I'd love to go here, I'd love to go there, I love big mountains. And I've been to Machu Picchu once when I was at Adventist College abroad down in Argentina. They took us to Machu Picchu, and all those mountains were great. And so I, there, was a, there was a town, and I was going around the national park of, of, of Machu Picchu, and it's very big, and there's a small town called Cachora. And this is like my third year of dental school. And I was like, oh, man, if God can only send me there. Come senior year, um, I... Uh, 
I uh, get a call from a guy because, you know, I've been kind of putting some feelers out. And there's an opportunity to go to a place called Kurawasi, Peru. I was like, oh, I looked at a place in Peru a year ago. And uh, so I checked out where it was. And lo and behold, it was about 22 kilometers away from the town I looked back, Kachora. And so I knew that that was kind of my winning moment, throwing air punches, and I was excited. Uh, we went there, and it was a state-of-the-art dental clinic. Um, here is a... Here's our dental clinic there. We had electronic hand pieces. We had, um, we had a digital pan machine and radiographs. We had our own lab um, in which Lisa was our lab technician from Germany would fabricate the crowns. We had a CIRAC machine. Um, it was first world dentistry for a third world population. And, it w and, it, and the kind of the, the work they were doing there was very, um, it was very rewarding, and I loved how it was done. Because while I strongly believe in free clinics, there's something about mission work sometimes, not all the time, when we don't have a constant presence in an area, and there becomes this kind of North American savior complex that you might have heard about, where people come in, they give you free things, oh, you poor little souls, you can't take care of yourselves let us take care of you know, this for you, okay? Um, and that wasn't the thing there. They would, they would pay for their, their treatment, but it was on a scale that was to them. So they would ask them, what is your house made out of? And, and how many people are living in your house? And you look at their clothes, and, and it was a judgment call. I'm sure it wasn't perfect. And it might have cost them, the crown might have cost them, you know, a couple days of wages, right? Um, but on our scale, it was about 10 bucks. Right, so it was, it was, it was a, it was a cool system. Um, we saw uh, nine-year-olds with bombed-out sixes and and lots of malocclusion. Um, got some good experience in, in uh, endo there. That's a picture of my MB2 that I found one day. You can't really see it very good. So, um, so general dentistry is uh, is what I did. And, um, and it was rewarding work. It was uh, work that uh, didn't pay us a dime, and that was part of, the, part of the difficulty and part of the reason why we came back, um, because we came back with a little bit more um, debt than we left with. Um, but that wasn't the only reason. Um, so here's just a few pictures of the dentistry that we were able to do. Kind of tooting my own horn a little bit there, and they had an OR in, in which we intubated the kids and sometimes had to do some, um, you know, full mouth rehab there and, and that little girl there and, and some good impactions. Did you trim your own dye? I did not trim my own dye. I did not. Good old Lisa. I think I have a picture of Lisa coming up. Here's Lisa. She was my, my main, my main, I want to say main man. She's my main woman. She'd come in there and help me, you know, check the, check everything. We get the color right together, and and we we did some great dentistry, and it was fun. Did you on that was that was our denture that we delivered. Yes, indeed. Who was your last name? Uh, Lisa, she's trained and uh, from from Germany. Is she still there? She is not, but there's another lab technician there that's uh, also from Germany, and 
and um, we still have a dentist from Switzerland that's there. And so they seem to come in, like when I first went, I wanted to go for a year. And then the director of the program is like, no, we don't want that kind of turnover because it's, if you're there a year, as soon as you start getting, like you're, you've got everything down, you're already thinking about your family and what you're gonna do when you get home. So, so um, really, I went thinking that two years was long term and I came back realizing it's short term. It's really short term. Um, because time flies and seems like two years is the magic time when you just start making connections. So it was really kind of a pity. Um, this next slide, we, um, this is Erin. She's also still there. She only works there one day a week, but she works in a town called Al Albunkai. And she's a dentist trained in Washington State and they've been there for coming up on like 10 years. His, her, her husband uh, already spoke fluent Spanish, so he put his mind to learning Quechua, which is the native language of Peru. And, um, and uh, so now he, while she does the dentistry, um, he's um, teaching the locals Bible stories um, and teaching them to read via the Bible stories. Um, and it, so it's a great, great way to incorporate um, both physical healing of, uh, and, um, and the spiritual healing that so many people need. They've been met with torches by, by members of the, the Catholic Church that uh, say, we want you out of, your t out of our town. Last time you were here, some of our cattle died. We don't want you back here again. And so they've met with some resistance but that's the cool thing about sticking around. Your true colors come out. And they've been doing some great, great, great things. So dentistry, as you all know, is an awesome profession, but can it get boring, right? So I think hobby is a great way to reach other people for the Lord. And I love, and I love to run. And so I incorporated my love to run with, with these little kids in our community. And that's my son, John Paul, there. Um, we adopted him when he was about eight years old. And uh, he... Uh, did so great, and he still misses it, because he would walk out the front door, and he had immediately 10 friends just to play with. And um, so we started a running club, running club that would uh, meet three days a week, and we'd run the same two to three routes. And then after, you know, about every couple months, we'd have a race. And it was, it was a cool thing to see, and I think we can do this, apply the same concept to dentistry, to see those kids say, man, what are you doing? We can't run that far. We can't run that, you know, that's like five, we did like three miles. And we can't run that far. And then they do it. And you'd be like, oh man, good job, that was awesome. And, and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they do it again, they do it again. After they ran five times, they got a little punch, or they got a card with their name on it, and so then when they got 25 punches in their card, they got a shirt, and, and, and at the end, they just loved running because they could look back and say, you know, this is where I started, and now they're running it fast. They can run the whole time. They don't have to walk at all. And that's one thing that I think we can incorporate into the field of dentistry with our kids. I think a lot of times we feel like if we didn't do the filling, we didn't get something done, we didn't walk out a code, that we weren't successful with that day. And so we're going to talk a little bit about autistic patients and patients that nobody truly enjoys seeing um, and how we can kind of rewire our brains a little bit to, 
to uh, help see the success in that, and, and we have to kind of adjust our, our expectations of how the visit's going to go. This is Italo and Jorge, some of my boys. Um, just looking at these guys and talking about them, I get emotional. Um, they're, they're, um, they're, my, they're my boys. And um, sometimes, you know, we, we still feel like we, we belong back there. And at the end of this presentation, I kind of have a plan. I have a plan of how I might, might get, get back there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a plan. You know, the Lord, the Lord changes things, and he, he um, often, often uh, throws some surprises in there. But, um, yeah, I'm going to share it with you and, and, uh, and hopefully encourage you in your plan. This was after our first race, and we took a picture of the family members that came out to encourage our young ones, and, and it was a good time. My dad happened to be there, and that was awesome. Um, <clears throat> so February is a water fight month, and every once in a while uh, we'd have some parties where we'd celebrate someone's birthday, or uh, this, is, this is church in our house. There's no Adventist church in the town, which was a struggle and a blessing. Um, yeah. So these, these slides came from, from when, I'd, when I came home to do some fundraising. This is what I'm doing, and uh, would you help us out? Because uh, we, we ran out of money a little bit. And, um, but, so those were kind of all the glamour shots. It wasn't all great. We could be with weeks without water. Um, my, my wife was diagnosed with Graves' disease while we were there, which isn't a life-threatening deal, but it was a big issue for our family. Um, so we didn't know. It was, and, and as a dentist, you know, we're, we're, we're taught to, to check and, and to read signs and symptoms, and it went right over my head. I didn't see it. And then after I saw, oh, yeah, you know how she's been, you know, how she, her, her body temperature is off whack, and... And she does have elevation here, and and um, why didn't I see this before? And the first several months, she was like a I don't know, 89 year old woman, that, and we're on a hill like this. I told you we could see 70, 17,000 feet and 4,000 feet, so it was it was a very trying time. Um, but it was rewarding. It was awesome. It was great, and the Lord saw us through, and um, so. That is uh, that was our time time in Peru. Does anybody have any questions about about uh, our time in Peru or or any like you know how did you do that or or any ideas you might have or questions you might have in regards to that? Um, well, the we had three dentists and so it was down to two for a little bit, um, and then they got another dentist from Germany. So we had a Peruvian dentist. Aaron was the American dentist, and we had a, uh, a dentist from Switzerland. Um, and yeah. No, nobody at that hospital is supported at all from the the the, so the, the hospital. They'd pay, and that would go to sustain the building and pay the locals, the local nurses and things for that. Yep, yep, yep. Good old, good old people back home, um, uh, kind of, kind of foot our bill. It was about, and it was actually more money than I thought it was going to be, because um, you think like, 
you know, it's like three to one ratio for the dollar over there. So I thought our money would go really far. And, um, but I mean, we went to a house and, and we were living in the hospital for a while, but that wasn't going to work for very long. We finally found a house and it didn't have a refridge, didn't have any furniture, didn't have any beds. Um, so we had to buy a lot of stuff and it cost a little bit more. I think, I think each year is about $40,000 that we used. Going back and forth with Lima was some cost to getting involved with, in with visas. Me and John Paul had to leave Peru to renew it one time and, and obviously Finley had to go home when she was diagnosed with that and she spent some time here and, and yeah. So, yeah, that's how we sustained ourselves. I wish it was an Adventist dental clinic. I wish. Um, but it, it um, definitely, all the patients were seen in the morning, and we had a chapel service in which we would worship, and then a pastor would preach um, the word. Um, sometimes I didn't agree with the word. You know, it might talk about hell or in hellfire and, and whatever else, and I'd be like, ah. um, but um, that's the... But the ministry was, was definitely there. I mean, the people there were on fire for the Lord. And so prayer with patients was common, the music in the waiting room, and um, just the long-term presence of the people that were there. Because we didn't live in like a compound, hospital compound. We lived in the community. Like our neighbors were our, became our friends, you know. We didn't really seclude ourselves. Yeah, on Friday nights we would get together and have a worship service with other missionary families. Um, but our daily friends and neighbors were locals that we would invite over to our house to eat. That's so key. I, I mean, that's, I mean, if, <laughs> I know this is about dentistry, but invite people over to your house to eat. You know what I'm saying? I remember being four years in Memphis for dental school, and I didn't really, I was like thinking people were going to invite me over from the church. I didn't get invited over. We eventually, near the end of time, we invited some people over, and we clicked. I was like, man, I, next time I move to a new town, I'm inviting everybody over to my house to eat. You know what I'm saying? Because when, you're, when you eat and you're across the table for something, things, things just click. You're in your space. This is my home. This is my life. And I care about you. Let's, let's create a uh, relationship. We can talk more about this. Um, I'm going to get on to the pediatric dentistry part. How many of you guys like to see kiddos? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about kiddos and, and what's new in pediatric dentistry. I wish I had all these state-of-the-art new things that made kids just love you automatically, but, but I don't. Um, you know, Harrison, this is my youngest one. He's five months now. He's, he's uh, stepping it up. He's being original, sucking his, his toes instead of his thumb. We're going to talk about some restorations, some alternative treatment, and some behavior guidance. And I hope you get a kick. A large part of my behavior guidance is like nitrous oxide. So <laughs> uh, it is what it is. Um, so I'm, this is basically me thinking, how can I help my, my brother, my sister in Christ be awesomer at pediatric dentistry? This is the best I got. If you guys already have this mastered, I'm sorry. Um, but this is just what I thought, you know, just raw. Okay, how can I help these people be better at treating kids? And so we're going to talk about anterior strip crowns. 
uh, MTA pulpotomies. I've, Activa, I took that slide out actually. I'll just mention it now since there's no slide on it. Um, it was just, it's just a, a material, you could, should treat it like a composite. You should treat it like a flowable composite. And, um, and pediatric dentists are using it more and more and more and more for the patients they need to get done quick. Sometimes I think they use it too much. If you look up Activa, it has great, great, great things to say. They're really good at advertising the product. Um, but there really isn't that much research behind it to make it like this is what we need to use. Um, I still kind of, if I'm doing a DO or an MO, it's packable composite. You know, but this is this finishes well, it smooths up well, it's supposedly supposed to bond hydroxyapatite and the bond between the tooth and the material is supposed to get stronger in time instead of weaker. Um, that's, that's the word on the street, okay? But there's not a lot of research that, that talks about it. Um, silver dimine fluoride, anybody you guys use that? Yeah, so maybe that, I'll talk a little bit about that to kind of to share. Um, I wish I had that in Peru, man. I wish I had that improved because that is a great, great um, um, thing that we can offer for our patients to buy us some time. It's not like the end uh, by any means, um, and it's not as good as they originally thought it was. It's like working 80% of the time, and you need two applications. We'll get to that in the slide. But, um, and direct, indirect pulp caps and, and the like. So isn't that a beautiful prep? Yeah. That's my ugly prep, and that's just on a type of dot model. Um, but uh, this one has been done, and this one hasn't been done. I hate doing, you know, interproximals right here on a, on a four-year-old, three-year-old. They just don't last, and it's hard, and they're that little. Um, and this holds up a whole lot, whole lot better. If the lesion is is Tiny, 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 yeah, composite's fine, but this is gonna last you a whole lot of time, and you don't need to spend a lot of time on it. So it's this strip crown. You're gonna put a hole in the back of this surface here, you know, about two millimeters big, might pop a hole in the top here and here, and you'll fill it with a, a packable composite, and after you've prepped that beautiful prep, you'll put that thing on there, and you'll wanna check it first, because you want it to be a little subgingival, so it looks, looks nice, and then you finish it up, okay? It doesn't have to look awesome. That's the first tooth, one of the first tooth to come out. Strip crowns. MTA pulpotomies. Um, so, former creosol, you know, you have former creosol, you have ferric sulfate pulpotomies, um, and now I think the trend is coming to MTA. And so with MTA, um, you know, when you do a pulpotomy, you evaluate the bleeding. If it's if it's just profusely bleeding, we know that thing's probably not going to be going to last and it probably just needs to come out. Now, there's people that are doing a new treatment in which they put an antibiotic at the, bot at the bottom, and they've shown some success with that, but that's kind of like a cowboy uh, thing there, too, and I'm not sure if that's going to hold up. I've never done any of that on my own. Um, so, for, but for the technique of this is you just apply apical pressure with chlorhexidine, and if it's still bleeding a little bit, go down a little bit farther in the canal, okay? And, and uh, once the bleeding is, is stopped, and you dry that out, and you, you place your, your MTA, and then you, then you fill it, you know, uh, like you normally would with your eugenol and, and your, and your um, What's the use to Cerakel 
Yes, yes. Uh huh. That's a, so a lot of times that's kind of like, that's almost going a little bit above and beyond what a lot of people do. So are you controlling the, the bleeding um, beforehand with formocreosol or viscoscat? Yeah. So that's what a lot of, that's what the office that I worked here in, in Buford did. We did ferric, ferric sulfate. And um, so there's a little bit more of a failure rate with that. And you see a lot of internal resorption. But I think there's technique that is involved in that too because I think if you use a lot of viscostat and you leave a lot of viscostat in there, um, it's more likely for it to not have a great outcome. Internal resorption. And if, if there's internal resorption, it doesn't mean you have to take out the tooth. If it's asymptomatic and there's internal resorption and they're going to lose it in a couple years anyways, I would, I would argue that you should just watch that anyways. Question? Um, no, your zinc oxide and your eugenol, whatever material or brand you use, it's going to be the bulk of it. I'm talking about just, just the, just the floor, just the bottom. And it, uh, yeah, I hear um, most people are using Neo MTA because it's a little bit cheaper, and they, they'll, they'll break open the packet and they can use it, one thing of it, for multiple patients or multiple pulpotomies. They're mixing it. And they're using another, another cost saver is if you mix it with lidocaine, you know, because you already, you probably didn't use the whole carpule and you can use a couple drops of that, mix it up and, and, and go from there. Um, so that, that's where it's heading. Now, there are a lot of programs, including my own, that I'm currently a resident at that we're still on former creosol. Um, it's coming down just like... Theracow? They could. I'm not sure. They could. Um, so, just like in all of dentistry, there's like 100 ways to skin a cat, right? Um, but um, the research tends to be showing. And, and if ever you have a question like, okay, what is the, what is, what is, what is the research saying? What is, you should go to aapd.org because that's what pediatric dentists are going to quote all day long. And if you want to talk educatedly, if you want to back up why you're doing something, you can see you can go to the policy and guidelines, or I think they just changed the name of it. Um, but you go on there, you click on that, and it'll tell you, you know, this is our stance on silver diamine fluoride. This is our stance on fluoride. This is our stance on um, all these subjects. Um, that's just a go-to resource, and when you're talking to anybody. AAPD, American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry.org. Yes, indeed. So, um, direct and indirect pulp caps. So, this um, is no different from 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 your from your permanent permanent teeth, um, and you'll find a lot of different um, opinions on on what to do, whether you should place your calcium hydroxide if it's necessary. Uh, I have been tend to be to have more of the thought of if there is a um, if we have uh, an exposure and it's not bleeding, MTA 
and then go from there. Also calcium hydroxide. That's another great one. And then, and then you restore it. If you feel like there's no bleeding, you got that on, then you put your glass on or base on top of, uh, on top of that, and then you etch and you do your normal restoration. Um, uh, some people, if there's not an exposure, they feel like there's going to be still some kind of micro communication with the pulp and they still use the calcium hydroxide. Um, but I tend to, if, I, if, I, if my explorer doesn't go into the pulp, I don't mess with the calcium hydroxide. Um, I'm just putting my um, glass ionomer base down and, and going from there. Yes, indeed. And, um, one thing, I'm, I'm a general dentist, went into pediatric dentistry, and I can attest to the fact that this is true. I don't like stainless steel crowns. I didn't like them when I, when I first was forced to start doing them. I'd rather do, do a DO and an MO. And so I think sometimes we can, I want to talk about this because sometimes like that tooth, for example, that you see in the top left, that should not be a DO. Um, that should definitely be um, a stainless steel crown. It's most likely going to be a pulp and crown um, just because I've seen so many and where they go. Um, so a lot of reasons because just the fail rate's really bad. You have uh, decreased bond strength with the enamel and, and, and dentin on, on primary teeth. And, um, and uh, so, well, let's look at some of these, these x-rays. Um, so, for, for interproximals? Yeah. Um, so I think the, in our practice, it was that uh, Activa that was kind of taking the place of that for us. But it's kind of the same deal. Um, and uh, we, that's kind of your caries management. If you have a lot of decay and it's going out of control and you want to just kind of stop things from it getting any farther, you can um, use glass ionomer. But not, not a whole lot to be honest with you. You know, it's, it's going to be a, a composite for the most part and, and, a, and a stainless steel crowns. That's like the bread and butter of pediatric dentistry. Um, sometimes, so when we're talking about this, we have to talk about the age of the patient, the amount of caries present, the education of the parents, uh, their involvement, their finances, and, and all those types of things. Um, you can have, you know, if you have a 10-year-old and they have a couple more years of that tooth in there, you're talking about one of the, one of the first or second baby molars, composite will be all right. Mom's going to freak out about it. She doesn't want that silver in there. No way. I'm not doing that. Then, then I'd be okay with doing a composite. Um, if the kid's, you know, four years old, I'm going to have to really talk to mom and try to say, hey, um, you're going to be wasting your money with this because you're going to, you're going to be back here again uh, in a few years, and, and we're going to have to do this all over. Um, so age. Uh, amount of cavities. Like, so if you saw this guy, and that was the only cavity. Well, and let's say they're seven. I might do a DO on that, you know. Um, but <clears throat> because I know, and, and, and maybe mom's like, they're, you can tell that they're, they're, they're with you. They're going to take care of it, they're going to floss their kids' teeth, 
and they're going to make sure that he doesn't eat sweets all the time. But if they're a little bit um, on the side of like, you know, you can tell that they're not, they don't care about the teeth whatsoever, <laughs> then we need, to, we need to protect that teeth a little more aggressively. And I wouldn't mess around with putting a, a composite in there. I'd go with a stainless steel crown. Um, so silver diamine fluoride. It's been used in Japan for, for many, many, many years in other countries as well. And it is what it, the name says it is, silver um, diamine fluoride. And uh, it's made up of 38% silver diamine fluoride. It has a pH of 10. And that's the fluoride content there, 400,000 parts per million fluoride. It's colorless. Now they're making a, um, a blue liquid that is a little bit helpful in, in, in seeing, seeing where it is um, on the tooth. And if you use super floss, if you're trying to do something in approximate, I haven't done too much in that, but you'll see people put it on super floss to help remineralize an area in between the teeth. Um, they say if it's getting close to the pulp, it's probably not a great idea if you're over two-thirds of the way through the dentin. It's um, not going to probably do the trick, but if you can catch it in the first third of the dentin, it's amazing how it'll buy you so much time. Um, so the technique is just to keep that tooth isolated. Um, with a little kid, let's say you're doing the upper front, so here I'll, I'll, I'll play this video, and I'm just showing you what has already been done, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. Um, so we don't have any sound on this guy, but I'm singing the ABCs to this little, this little kiddo here, and you can see it's kind of some discoloration here. So they have, in this case, they do have a glass ionomer. This would be one of those that a glass ionomer would be great to go on top of this. So you would treat, and, and it's amazing how the bond strength of the tooth, this black tooth, is still good, you know? You, so you would treat it like a normal glass ionomer. You have that normal primer that comes with a glass ionomer. You do that, and then you put the glass ionomer on it. And that's just to kind of cover up aesthetically you know, the parents don't like the black, so we see it in the back, but we don't see it as much in the front. No, no. You can a little bit with a round burr, you know, just, just uh, and especially if they're on nitrous, and, and just kind of take the majority of that, because you first just go in there with the silver diamine fluoride, and you just leave it on there for two minutes with your brush. Um, my professor says don't take the, 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 your micro brush off of the tooth, leave it there. For me, I, I've, I've kind of, my technique, I've done a couple teeth and I'll just kind of keep pressing on them. It depends on the behavior of the child because this is an ideal treatment, right? So obviously there's a behavior management situation or they're too young or we're trying to buy some time. But it really does buy you some time because three years old, the difference between a three-year-old and a six-year-old can be huge, you know? And if it's a back tooth, there's, there's a, you know, the parents don't like when it's up front, but if they don't see it, and if, and if it's the option of, okay, we're going to go to the emergency room and we're going to intubate this kiddo, or we can make this, this lesion be black for a few years until they're, you know, got grips on things and we can treat it um, conventionally, uh, I think most parents rather their kiddo not be put on a breathing machine um, because that's safe in a hospital setting, but, but uh, already in my rotation, a little kiddo just there for a circumcision, you know, 
he had a laryngospasm turn into a bronchospasm, and, and things can go south, and so there's, it's not riskless, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's not ideal, and we would like to, to be wary of that. Um, all right, so I need to really, really speed up my talk here. Autism, this is, this is our good friend, Chad up the street. Um, it's taken a big increase, and we're all called to treat autistic patients. And one thing that I think that needs to help us out is we need to not think of it as, as, as writing out a code. If you, even if you don't treat them to completion, I hope you don't say, sorry, go see this person. At least provide a small step for that patient. Provide a small step of desensitization, right? Come sit in my chair. Let me blow this air on you. And leave the appointment, even though if there were some parts that went south, um, leave the appointment telling, good job, you overcame your fear. Give that person a good name. Call them brave, right? You give a dog a bad name, might as well hang them. Isn't that the saying? Well, you praise them and you tell them that they're awesome. You tell them they're good. You tell them that they're brave and they're more likely. And so the person that you refer them to is going to be better and you did your part. Also, a lot of times when I wouldn't want to see these guys is I'd be afraid and I'd, probably, I'd have so much doubt. I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's true, you probably can't do it right? But God calls us to try. He doesn't call us to win every time. He calls us to try. And that's one huge lesson that we can learn uh, <clears throat> in every part of life, that God doesn't call us to, to win at everything, right? The results, the consequences of our actions are in his hands. They're in his hands. We're just called to do our part, you know? And it's so easy to be like, hey, Carlos, how you doing, man? Great to see you. And he's like, gives me the cold shoulder. I'm not going to say hi to Carlos again because he made me, you know, but that's not it. No, I was vulnerable. I stuck out my hand. I said, hey, Carlos, how you doing? I extended friendship, and I should praise myself. I said, good job, Stephen. You put yourself, you made yourself vulnerable, and you did what was in your power to do. You did what was in your power to do. It didn't turn out like you wanted it to with your family member, with your spouse, with your patient, but, hey, you did your part, and that's all that God's asking. Um. <clears throat> so what are the goals of behavior guidance? We want to deliver a safe place. We want to get them to the next step. And sometimes we have to deal with kids that rule the house. I don't know whose fridge that is, but somebody's not controlling their kids. It's not my house. I don't know whose house. <laughs> it is my house. When I opened the fridge and I saw like all those apples, little bite marks out of it, I just, all oh, those little munchkins. Oh, you got to love them. Um, so dealing with the parent, that's a good one. That's a hard one. Um, I would say empower the parent, even if they're wrong. You can win an argument and lose a friend. You can win an argument and, and lose uh, uh, a patient. And who loses? You lose. Parent loses. The child loses. So I will do what I know is not maybe exactly right for behavior modification. I'll let the parent back, and she's just, you know, totally working against me. But I'll let her have her try and say, hey, I like what you're doing here. Could we do something else here? You kind of, you don't want to, you don't, even if you go in there and win, say, no, this isn't going to work. This is how we're going to do it. You're not going to win. Get the parents on your side. It's great to talk to them by themselves, parents by themselves if you can, and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to use some voice control. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to try, tell, show, do, and, and show them exactly what I'm going to do and then do it. And, and I'm going to 
um, later, if, if that doesn't go on, I'm going to use a sterner voice. I'm going to say, no, this is, this is what we're going to do, and, and we need to sit still now, okay? And, and so you have all this, and, and it's, a, it's a practice, right? That's why we call it a practice. But sometimes you make things happy, you make things happy, you, you make a relationship uh, with, the, with the person, and, um, and towards the end, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about it. But you want to empower the parent. That's the, that's the key one there. And um, sometimes you have to read that kid when they're in the waiting room. They might look at you and not trust you a bit. And, you know, sometimes if you go in there too strong, too soon, hey, how are you doing? That's such a cute outfit. Blah, blah, blah. They just, uh, uh, uh. But if you kind of ignore them and you pay attention to the parent and you're real nice to the parent, like, oh, all right, you're not so bad. And then you go to that. So reading faces, reading the parent and uh, child dynamic is, is key. Talk a lot. Use statements. Don't say, all right, do you want to sit in the chair now? Like, all right, we're going to sit in the chair. You're going to open your mouth. Do you want to open your mouth? No. You tell them, this is what we're going to do. <clears throat> and I have to remind myself all the time, are you ready? Of course they're not ready. They don't want to see you. So uh, reasons for problem behavior. These are my two little rug rats. And, uh, man, they, they, they want to escape. They want to... They they want to get out of there. They want attention from mom. Moms are great, and they love us, but how many of you guys fake sick to get out of school or something when you were little? I mean, come on, those guys, they're great manipulators. They're so good. Um, <clears throat> and uh, when, when mom's like, oh, does it hurt? Does it hurt? Are you sure it doesn't hurt? Are you sure? You know, they're just asking to get more attention, and the kid knows it, you know? you got mom in the bag. Or the one I really hate is like, they're acting horrible. And then you add in, like, they call it this pre-Mac, where you'll say, okay, if you're good, I'll get you a Nerf gun. It's too late by that point. No, it's just like, buddy, it's, it's nothing from you. No toy out of the treasure chest. You're going to go home, and um, that's it. Now, now, you can bribe or pre-Mac before the bad behavior starts. That's the key, okay? Because then we're rewarding... We're not rewarding bad behavior, right? Um, so antecedent behavior consequences there at the end. Um, every behavior is a result of a thought before it, right? So we have to think of where that thought came from. Um, try to use words like, if you, feel, if you feel pain, raise your hand. How many of you guys said that to a kid? Don't say that. Say, if you feel any discomfort, raise your hand. Um, and uh, and that, that can change a little bit. You have a mature patient, and 12, 13, you can call it what it is a little bit more. I'm gonna, it might sting a little bit, but then it's going to go away. But a little kid, you know, you, you distract them, and you don't, you don't tell them what's going on. You're going to put in some, you know, some silly, silly jelly, and then you're going to put in a, a silly spray that's really bitter, and I don't want it to get it in your eyes, close your eyes, whatever your technique is. Tell, show, do. We talked about that. You show them the mirror before you stick it in their mouth. Um, and you... Tell them everything they're going to do before you do it. And you just talk, 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 talk. The bad thing is if you don't talk, and they get nervous. They like to hear you talking. Um, <clears throat> task strips. This is great for autistic patients. When you have a, an autistic patient, you show them one strip. It's on a Velcro sheet. And after the thing is done that you've done, you flip it over and you turn it, turn it around. That's done. Now we have three more to go. It helps them see the end. Helps them see the end. And at the end, we get to go have Taco Bell. We get to go to wherever, wherever they love to do. You get to do that at the end. And it's a great visual for them. And um, uh, task strips, those are great to have in the office.
uh, pre-appointment preparation, make a modeling video or show parents a modeling video. The kids, it's like, yeah, we, uh, we watched this video. They know exactly what that is. We're ready for that. The kid's like, ready, right? So get them, get them on board and show them what they're doing. And um, so here's some, here's some more. It's sometimes okay for another kid to come in and watch their brave older brother or sister do something. That's helpful. But if they're not brave and, and they're going to be screaming, don't have them in the office. And uh, if a lot of times kids do better without parents back there. So if, if you feel like the mom's going to be okay with you being, her being in the, in the waiting room, say, hey, you know what's best for your kid. Um, but the research has said that a lot of times they, they sometimes do better when mom's not there. Are you okay with that? Or, and they might say yes. They might say, and if they say, no, what? I'm going to, you know, I, you know you, no, no, that's fine. No, no, that's great. Come on back, whatever. And a lot of them really are strong about that. And uh, when you talk about uh, intranasal sedation, you know, the good old benzodiazepines, doesn't give you too much time, but it, it, it does have its place. I would say that this is somehow fading out, and we have, um, you know, IV sedation and, uh, and being in the OR at the hospital is kind of increasing because it's very hard and takes so much time. You have to monitor these patients, like every five minutes, and writing down their vitals and O2 sats and entitled CO2. Um, so I don't think I'm going to be doing this much after I get out of residency, just to be honest with you. But it might have its – it has its – it has its place, and, and, and um, if any of you guys want this presentation, um, I'll be happy to send you guys this later if you want give me your email or something. You guys know about nitrous oxide. Um, not sure exactly why I put it in there, but, you know, you titrate it up. Not many of us do it, I'll be honest with you. We go straight to 40%, uh, sometimes 50, um, but you're going to have a little more increase of maybe getting some nausea with that. Um, but never going over over 50%. And you want to make sure that that bag's not overinflated, not underinflated, that it has, it's full, but it's right there in the middle. It's got room to go either way. And um, that nitrous oxide and, um, and the TV in the ceiling, that's your behavior management. Those are, the, those are the big ones. All this other stuff, you know, it's an art. That we, you know, you have to do it sometimes, but... Guys, um, I'm just going to tell you what I plan to do. And uh, the investment uh, lectures that we had earlier touched on this a little bit. But I plan to live, follow Dan, Dave Ramsey's model, to live like nobody else so someday I can live like nobody else, right? So act my wage or well below my wage, maybe. Put away $50,000, $100,000 and invest so that maybe I can buy some rental property, I can, and, and that's, that's my plan. We've got, we have a couple houses. They're renting for about $1,200 a month, and each house, you could just say about each house is going to be about $12,000 a year, right? I want 10 of those. That's my goal. <laughs> and I want 10 of those because what? That'll give me about $100,000 that I can live on, and that'll free me up for the Lord's work. Not to say that what I'm doing in dentistry is not the Lord's work. It is. Everybody in every profession is the Lord's work. But how great was that in Peru? Not making a dime. Doing, doing as much as I want if I felt a little bit overrun. Maybe I'll spend more time on the other ministry, the running ministry or mentoring kids, whatever it is. Um, it would free me up um, to do that. 
because like I told you, I was you know, about $40,000 and we had a great life. Um, so contentment is always a big thing. Um, contentment, it's not the destination uh, or place. It's basically the car that we're traveling in, right? And these are some Bible texts that, that, that shares how important contentness is and that God calls us to be hard workers. Um, and I love this, just like uh, Dr. White was talking about this morning, he's talking about that light bulb and how the light is brightest at the source, right? Well, this is a Jewish custom where after the Sabbath, they kind of do the, what's it called here in my notes, the Havdalah service, where they fill this cup with wine and it overflows, right? And that cup would symbolize the family, that they want God's blessing for them financially and and spiritually, and, and, but that's not enough. They want it then to overflow and bless others with it. Um, so I hate when people judge other people on the size of their cup. They don't know how much they tithe or how much they're giving, what percentage of their income they're giving to, to tithe. They might be giving, you know, 40% of their income to, to other, and we don't know that. Yeah, they might be driving a Maserati, but what are, what are we paying? You know, what are we, what are we paying? Well, there's, there's no room to judge, and, and we, so we don't need to spend time comparing. Comparing is a sickness, and it will rob you of your joy in life, comparing yourself to this person, this person, this person, how much they have. God calls us all to be different in different ways. He's not calling us all to be the next Mark Finley. He's not calling us all to be the next Carlos. But, <laughs> but we're... But we're all called to be faithful in what God has called us to do, right? And um, so that's, that's my plan. It might change. It might change, but hey, maybe I'll get to retire in 10 years. <laughs> retire in 10 years, still do dentistry, but uh, a little bit more on, on my terms and not be, not be tied down. So a few questions for you. What's your story all about? If your life was a movie, would it be interesting? Um, also, who's the center of your story? Is it you? Because it shouldn't be. It's a lot of pressure, and that's a lame, lame, lame existence if you're at the center because it makes everything miserable because you're comparing yourself, and you're a victim. Put God in the center. When you put God in the center, your life doesn't have to be great. It can be very mediocre or maybe just bad and unfair. You can be in prison the whole time. But you know in your heart that you did what God put in your path to do. And the story is about him. We're here to lift him up. And it takes the pressure off of you. It takes the pressure off of the family situation, off of your marriage, off of your practice. Because you're doing what you know best and, and letting God do the rest. So in all these, in all these questions, I think one thing that's going to alleviate everything and bring it back down to what we need to focus on is put God first. Put God first. You don't know exactly what's best for your family or what's best for your practice, but God does. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added unto you. So it's tough, and um, there's a video here that I was planning on showing, but I think I'm going to skip it. It's of, a, it's of one of our races in Peru. and uh, A couple of minutes. So it's about these two kids, uh, and I didn't mean for this to happen. We had this one of like one of our races, and uh, 
I lead the race. They all run the same route every time. Uh, but there, every time on race day, we, we create a little bit of hype, and there's some new people that aren't in our running club. We had about 60 kids that would have cards um, and were part of our club. And um, awesome. And, um, and I just happened to be, I was, I was filming on my iPhone 4 and, and uh, ended up getting a lot of footage of, of these three boys, um, Giovanni, Eduardo, and I forget the other guy's name. But Eduardo was my little, he was my man. I kind of looked out for this guy. He, he looks like he's four, but he's like six or seven. Um, dad's an alcoholic, mom's an alcoholic. And... And he's, he's given it his all, man. And, um, and I'll, I'll play with you the video. I, this is, uh, let's see, I need to speed it up so we don't have to watch him. This is Giovanni and Jordan. And I ask, where's Eduardo? Because in the other scenes, he was there running with him. Like, what happened to him? And this is the uphill stretch. When you round that corner at the bottom, you can see the finish. So this is kind of the last leg, and then they're going to take a right turn up the hill. They're hurting. They've been, I've been watching these kids a whole race, and three miles. And, uh, and they're, they keep going. So here's Jordan and Giovanni. Where's Eduardo is the question. And here he is. And I'm telling how you look how fast these guys are. And I look at this, look at this Eduardo. And I'm, I'm like, get him, get that next guy, get that next guy, keep going, keep going. And as you turn this corner, you can see the finish line. And it's a great metaphor for how we should view ourselves living in this time. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have the privilege of knowing the end. And we have the privilege of knowing that God's coming soon. And it hurts. Life isn't easy. These patients drive us nuts. But God is calling us to keep going and push it hard and complete the race that he's given to us. Hebrews 12, 1, right? Run the race. Um, so that is my encouragement to you guys. At the end of the day, I want you guys to, um, to uh, I don't know how to get on the last one, but I, my last slide just shows a picture of my family. And... Um, and my plan is to fill up my cup, but not stop there, right? We're, we're called to be good stewards. Um, are you your own? Is your family yours? Are the things that we have ours? No. God has called us to be managers of the things, our bodies, our wives, our kids, our patients. And when we start thinking of ourselves as owners, that's where things go south. And it's a lot of pressure being an owner. We don't like, you know ownership I mean it's God's and God's going to do what God's going to do and we want to help it help it happen I don't know why he uses us we're broken we don't we don't do things very well but it's awesome so that's my plan and um, this final statement it's hard work but God's called us to do it and uh, are you willing to do your part and leave the results in God's hands let's pray dear Heavenly Father Lord we're little we're small and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're trying to do the best we got. We want to be the best we can be in our professions, and we want to glorify your name. But sometimes, Lord, we get distracted, and we need 
We need our friends. We need our family. We need groups like this. We need our church members to lift us back up and to keep our eye on the prize and to keep running this race because someday it's going to all be done. And Lord, we want to we wanna look back at our time on this earth and feel good. We don't want to feel... We don't want to feel like I did the other day when I painted the cabinets in this oil-based paint over a water-based or something like that, and I spent hours on it only to realize I had to scrape it all off in such a oh, feeling of, oh, I wasted so much time. And we don't want that feeling. We don't want that gut feeling of, oh, I wasted all this time when I could have been doing significant purposeful work for you. So Lord, encourage us, come into our hearts, bless our efforts, and uh, create in us... Um, accurate representation of you and put on our hearts what you have on yours Lord. In Jesus name, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.